0: We are back. And in this hour, we are starting part one of a two part series on the sentencing of former L.A. City Council member Mark Ridley Thomas, who was convicted on seven counts of a 19 count federal indictment. Uh, he will be sentenced downtown in a federal courthouse on Monday, August 21st. And joining me uh, for this series is KBLA justice correspondent Dion Raymond, veteran prosecutor Bobby Grace and criminal defense attorney Mansfield Collins. Uh, this a team of lawyers have been with us since the beginning of the trial of Dr. Riley Thomas, and they have uh, provided expert analysis on this Pretty complicated trial and complicated because although it's been talked about as a bribery trial, the conviction of Mark Ridley Thomas really was on something called honest service mail fraud, something that most lay people and even myself, who is not a criminal attorney, uh, aren't as familiar with as the term bribery. uh, Most folks have more familiarity with. Uh, Welcome, Dion. Welcome, Bobby. Welcome, Mansfield. Let's just jump right into this. So, sentencing is going to occur on Monday. We've had a chance to review uh, the sentencing memo that's filed by the prosecution, making their recommendations about sentencing. The defense team representing Dr. Ridley-Thomas had an opportunity to file a motion making their recommendations. But it seems like there's been a flurry of activity, uh, particularly on the part of the prosecution, Mansfield, because they filed a response yesterday to Dr. Ridley-Thomas's team recommendation. And then today, Thursday, August 17th, sometime this afternoon, they file a notice of a letter and then they actually file the letter. And the letter is from former LA police chief, former LA city council member, Bernard Parks, who, if you live in Los Angeles, you know, has been a political rival of Dr. Ridley Thomas for probably decades What do you make of them filing this letter or this letter that was written apparently by Bernard Parks?
1: It it appears that the prosecution is not comfortable that its sentencing recommendation is going to be followed by the judge. And to file a, an exhibit that is a letter from former police chief Bernard Parks at the last minute, without stating anything in the document that indicates to the judge they've been political rivals, uh, you can't really accept uh, this uh, this uh, document for for face value. Um, so it, it's an indication that there is something still wrong with this prosecution of Mark Ridley Thomas. They're going out of their way. They're going out of bounds at this late stage in the process. This is on the eve of sentencing, as if this letter from Barnard Parks is going to have an impact with the judge Um, and furthermore it's a divisive uh, tactic used by the prosecution to try and show um, the judge that there is great division and disunity of thought and action in the black community uh, concerning concerning this matter it's a really underhanded tactic that the prosecution has used at this last on the eve of sentencing
0: yeah, and I guess we should note that there have been 70 plus, maybe even over 100 letters written on behalf of Dr. Ridley Thomas, not all from African Americans. Uh, obviously, he has a very diverse group of supporters and constituents, community leaders, former elected officials like Sheila uh, Kuehl wrote a letter on his behalf. So, uh, obviously, as you said, Mansfield, this is a way to show the judge that the entire community of former elected officials, former black elected officials are not uh, speaking with one voice in support of Dr. Riley Thomas. Uh, Let me ask you this, uh, Dion: you were in the courtroom every day of this trial. I was really uh, shocked, floored, just flabbergasted by this statement in the prosecution's 32-page sentencing memo saying that this was a shakedown. Not the kind in of movies with bags of cash, but she calls it a polite and pervasive, you know, sophisticated thing that powerful people do. The term "no shakedown." D- d- help us make sense of that in light of the evidence you saw come into this case.
2: Well, I'm going to borrow, actually, Ariva from um, two of uh, my colleagues, Bobby and Mansfield, um, some of their observations, which which I agree with. We've discussed about. Sh- this is inflammatory language. There was nothing about, there was no evidence to show that this was a shakedown. And we see this kind of language that's pervasive throughout the trial and in their papers. And they need to be called out on it because it's quite frankly, it's embarrassing and unbecoming of the government and really calls on uh, the judge. I guess they're hoping that, um, that the judge will not have the kind of analysis that's necessary to unpack this kind of this type of racially offensive um, language. Not only do they use um, shakedown, even worse, they describe Mark Ridley Thomas as all powerful. That would be omnipotent. I don't know of any politician <laughs> or official who's who's omnipotent. I think um, Donald Trump thinks that he is, but even even former uh, President Barack Obama our public officials have all kinds of checks and balances. And so they also said that he was one of the most um, formidable politicians in Los Angeles. I actually went and looked up, well, I know, but I just wanted for the viewers, formidable means inspiring fear <laughs> through being impressively large, powerful, intense, or capable. So they're creating this this, this image, this, this very dark image of, do- of Dr. Mark Ridley-Thomas. Instead of saying that he was dedicated, humble, um, intelligent, right? I mean, it, it, he is all bad, all evil. That should, um, that's a red flag that, that these individuals have really gone beyond um, what their job is. And, and I really think it's um, indefensible.
0: And so, I'm glad you bring up those other terms, Dion, because Bobby, this is something that's been bothering me about this case. Again, I'm not a criminal defense attorney. I'm a civil rights attorney, and our work is done in civil courts, not criminal courts. But it appears that the prosecution has made a material shift in the way they are framing this case. Mark Riley Thomas and Marilyn Flynn, the USC dean that took a plea deal, has now been sentenced to 18 months of home confinement, they were co-conspirators when this started. Now we saw in the sentencing uh, of Marilyn Flynn that happened a couple of weeks ago, and now the sentencing documents, Mercury Thomas is no longer a co-conspirator. Marilyn Flynn is no longer a co-conspirator, but she is a victim. She's a victim of this omnipotent, this formidable, this powerful, let's just call it black man. So This powerful black man has now become this monster that pressured this weak, fragile, innocent, 84-year-old, 80-plus-year-old white woman who was not a co-conspirator, but a victim that was shaken down and pressured and bullied. How do you make that shift as a prosecutor, and is this common?
3: Actually, Ariba, it's not. Um, I'm very shocked at the way um that the federal government is um approaching this. Generally, uh, and I think Manske will co-sign on this, that you pretty much in federal court you stick to um the guidelines. Uh it's pretty rote, uh, meaning that you know what they write, they write you know millions and millions of times. They so pro- most prosecutors try to stick very, very closely to, um, you know, the sticking to talking about the guidelines in terms of sentencing. They didn't do that here. They kind of went way, way, way out of bounds, uh, and they're they're trying to create, as you're pointing out, a narrative that the judge uh, will take to try to make the conduct of uh, Dr. Riley Thomas more egregious and really more in line with some of the other corruption or graft cases that we've seen um, coming down from the federal government involving former Los Angeles City Council members um, and trying to fit him in that particular shoehorn him and then that particular vein. Uh, and it's a shame um, that they, they're they not following uh, the rules that they normally follow in terms of uh, approaching the sentencing.
0: Yeah, Mansfield, I just feel, you know, there's something called being an overzealous litigator, or in this case, overzealous prosecutor, that has personalized this case, she seems she, and I'm saying she because it's a female prosecutor that's writing these documents, presumably, seems to be on a personal mission to take him down. Now, whether that's to you know build her resume up to get a uh, you know a notch in her belt ha- as having taken down this powerful. Politicians, or if it's racially motivated. But, and the reason it seems so personal is because she attacks the community. She says he's involved in a campaign. Uh, she identifies uh, a media personality in these documents. She seems to be coming for anyone that deigned to believe that this prosecution wasn't a righteous prosecution or that the conviction wasn't a righteous conviction. And we all have our first amendment rights, our freedoms to believe and to articulate our opinions about this case, Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani. We, we can talk extensively. <laughs> we can criticize the government. We can applaud Kristen Clark when she does something that we like and we can you know, bad mouth Mary Garland when we don't like something that he does. So how is it that somehow our actions and I'm saying she's talking about us because we're part of this community, that our actions in, in any way could influence this decision by the judge about how much time Mark Ridley Thomas should get?
1: Uh, yes, uh, uh, Ariva. Um, and it's um, it's even worse than that, Um the prosecutors in this case, as as Bobby indicated, when you file an indictment, that is the roadmap that you stick to. So you can't file an indictment naming Marilyn Flynn as a co-conspirator and then end up at the time of sentencing and convert her, as you have you have indicated, into a victim. That's just disingenuous. That makes that call that that casts a doubt and a lack of credibility on the entire process. Now. You start off with a co-defendant that then merges into becoming a victim. Someone's playing with the facts of this case. Someone's playing with the party roles in this case. And they're doing a disservice to the government. They're doing a great harm and damage to the community. Um, And and yes, people have to speak up about this. They really have to speak up about this.
0: Bobby, one of the things, too, I ask. A former member of that U.S. Attorney's Office no longer works there. I sent him some of these documents because I, too, like you said, Mansfield, I was curious about is this common for your office? And one of the things I sent him was the uh, press release that was signed by the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District. I'm uh, not signed by, but the, he's quoted in this press release. And he makes some factual statements that are inaccurate. He, he makes statements that are factually inaccurate about the evidence that was produced at trial, about the conviction itself, what the convictions were on. So I'm asking this former U.S. attorney, is this common for the head of your office to be quoted in a press release riddled with so many inaccuracies? And he said, well, you know, these press releases are done by the marketing team or, you know, someone else and rarely is the head of the office reading them. And, you know, he kind of dismissed my concerns as this is just an administrative rote process. You have been the head of a division in a prosecutorial office. You have been a prosecutor for 30 years. If you are issuing a press release or you are making a a, a a quote in the press release don't you care that it is an accurate statement of facts
3: well first of all Reba, um no press release should have gone out quoting any facts until after um mark Willie thomas was sentenced um mm-hmm. this came so, out know,
0: after the conviction
3: so you could talk about what he was convicted of but in terms of facts uh you, you would have to stick very very closely to exactly what he was convicted of because the proceedings are still going on. Talk about this a lot as prosecutors. Um, particularly, you don't want to make statements while the cases are ongoing. That's an ethical violation, Viva, and you're not supposed to do that. Um, it is a fact that whoever is the, the U.S. attorney for a given jurisdiction is appointed. It's a political process. Um, they may have been trying to score points politically, but it doesn't look good, especially um, when all of the uh, light of really a floodlight is going to be on everything anybody says with respect to this case. And I'm not sure that the U.S. Attorney wants to have to defend himself if he has to go to Washington and they start asking him about why did you say this? Why did you say that? Uh, in fact, I would think that they would want to try to let this go to bed very quietly because, as we know, Mark Lee Thomas is very beloved in this community, well-known across the nation. I don't see this as like a, a major win for the U.S. Attorney's Office in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah, when we come forward, we're going to talk about uh, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District and the role of race in the prosecution uh, of this case and what role that may play in the sentencing on Monday, August 21st. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580 back and in this hour we are in part one of a two-part series on the sentencing of former LA City Council member Mark Ridley Thomas. Mark Ridley Thomas was convicted of seven counts of a 19 count bribery indictment and he will be sentenced on Monday August 21st in a federal courtroom in downtown Los Angeles. Our justice correspondent Dion Raymond who's joining us in this hour will be in that courtroom and will bring us uh what happens inside that courtroom. And joining us also in this hour, Bobby Grace and Mansfield Collins, both veteran criminal law Experts, and we're talking about the role of race. So, when I opened the show, I talked about conversations I've been having, uh, things I've been reading online, written by African Americans, folks who are typically reformists, people who are typically suspect of the FBI, suspect of the Justice Department, typically are in favor of light sentences, if any, sentences. Uh, for African Americans caught up in the justice system because they know that this is a dual justice system. but somehow in this case Dion, some of those same folks are not uh, extending those that kind of what I'll call grace uh to Dr. Riley Thomas. They have taken a different position about this case and some are saying he should have the harshest uh, sentence uh, that is available. Uh, we know that the acting U.S attorney, that was in that office when Mark Riley Thomas was indicted uh, was a white woman, but she has been replaced by Martin Estrada, a Latino male who was appointed by Joe Biden in September of 2022. So, you know, we had a white woman where the indictment starts. We have a Latino. Um, lawyer that's the head of the office. Now we have a black guy that is the head of this division, apparently where this uh, prosecution is taking place. Help us make sense of race Mm -hmm. because some folks will look at this and say, Oh no, can't talk about race because Estrada's Latino and the head of the department is a black guy. So
2: race has nothing to do with this. What's your position on that? I think that's um, a a limited, um, position to take. And I believe that Ariva because when it comes to race, typically it's perpetuated by institutions. They are designed to perpetuate certain policies and certain ways of being. I'm for instance I'm a lawyer by trade. In 2014 I was hired by UCLA to create their discrimination prevention office along with another attorney Where we investigated complaints of discrimination, harassment, retaliation against faculty. And being in that position, I really honed my skills on how to identify uh, racial discrimination, harassment, and bias. And I'm not talking about the more um, obvious forms, such as using the N-word, which is People really don't go beyond that, Ariva, because they're not taught to unpack it. They're not taught to unpack it because it's ingrained in our institutions. It is so normalized that people don't even think to interrogate it. So it's the more subtle and nuanced forms of discrimination, which are so present in the government's documents. And just because they're lawyers doesn't mean that they don't come with racial biases. And individuals of color oftentimes are in key positions. And if they aren't taught to unpack it, but number two, there are no incentives for them to step outside the status quo. A lot of times they aren't empowered. And number three, Ariba, most times there aren't even incentives. People want to be on team. They want to be a part of the status quo. They, and also there are usually financial incentives or status incentives. And I see it here happening um, in this case. And unfortunately, um, Bernard Parks' letter I just want to say this, it's embarrassing. And I think the government should have known better. Uh, you he, you see him parroting um the government's words, calling this a shakedown, which it wasn't, saying that um Dr. Ridley Thomas solicited the support of his colleagues. He didn't. That's contrary to the evidence. Saying that he failed to take responsibility. What that means oh, is let's you just stop you- right there. Like mm-hmm. how would Bernard Parks know
0: that Mark Really Thomas solicited something? Like, I like literally you were in that courtroom every day did you sleep a nerd park show up one time but Afa
2: that's what's no, so bad. just answer that question no yes. no, no of course okay. not but 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 even more importantly Ava why does why does he even think that he can take this kind of position and say things that aren't true because he's parroting what he has heard it's the power of the media to affect people's consciousness even people of color and it's a it's a tired old, uncreative trope to trot out a black person to stand in radical opposition to all of those 130 letters of support that Dr. Ridley Thomas uh, received.
0: Yeah, again, so let's give Bernard Parks the benefit of the doubt because he wasn't in the courtroom. So we know he does not have firsthand knowledge. Uh, And I don't know, Bobby, is it possible that the prosecutors gave him that language? Because he would have to be reading the papers, he'd have to be reading the LA Times or something to find someone who said that he solicited. So, I mean, that's such a specific statement. And typically in those impact letters, whether you are for or against, people aren't delving into the facts of the case. They're making statements about the character or lack thereof of the individual. So it's so bizarre. That the letter would go into what was "quote unquote" proven or not proven in the trial to begin with.
3: Well, first of all, Ariva, it's very, very unusual for anybody um, to write a letter asking the government to seek the <laughs> maximum in a case. This is almost unheard of. Yeah, uh, I this never. Isn't get...
0: a, this isn't. Let's be clear. The, this isn't the parent of a you know, uh, someone that was killed in a drive-by and it's an impact statement about how this loss has impacted me personally and my family. This is someone totally unconnected to these proceedings.
3: Or As, or, even, or even if we're talking about a white collar case, you're not having the insurance company or the retailer or somebody who was actually affected with money out of their pocket asking the government to take the... Um, The most stringent sentencing possible. It's really strange. It's very, very (laughs) bizarre. Um, Somebody who's been off the political stage for quite a while to try to weigh in on this. And again, it's also um, pretty transparent, uh, as Dion brought out, as to why they would want to do this. Like Bernard Parks you couldn't get somebody else.
1: (laughs) But why does
0: the government in all of its power need anyone? And that's what you're saying. Why do they need a letter from anyone? This is a case, Mansfield, where you said typically it's about sentencing guidelines. This is a routine bribery case that resulted in a conviction. And based on that conviction, there are federal guidelines that the prosecution should articulate in its documents the defense gets to articulate what it believes to be the guidelines and then we should talk about probation because probation we now know from these documents have recommended an 18 month sentence do you think mansfield all of this you know this this heavy-handed personalized overzealous response from the prosecution is trying to nullify or undermine this unexpected I would imagine report recommendations from probation.
1: I believe that's correct, Ariva. I believe that's correct. And this letter from from former police chief Parks sort of is consistent with some theories that people have in the community that this was a selective prosecution because this letter looks like it is clearly a selective letter to an enemy of Mark Ridley Thomas. And everybody knows he has nothing but hostility for Mark Ridley Thomas. And so, again, this is our taxpayer dollars being used on our behalf in a prosecution that has to represent fairness, transparency, objectivity. And it just failed. It didn't do that. But there's something else that uh, I wanted to remind everybody about the government, in its recommendation, sentencing recommendation, it actually seeks to punish Mark Ridley Thomas for taking this case to trial and winning 65% of the case. Yes. 18 indictments were filed, 19 counts were filed, he prevailed on seven of them, but yet... The person that wrote the sentencing recommendations for the government still said it was a frivolous act on part of on the part of Mark Ridley Thomas. If that doesn't tell you that there's something really wrong about this prosecution, its its origination, and all through its use of other inflammatory language during the trial, uh, what else would you need other than to know that most people in this situation, as Bobby and Dion and you know Ariva. Most people in this situation fear the government and they don't have the resources of the government and they end up pleading. They end up pleading most of the time, not on the basis of guilt or innocence, but on the basis of the financial obligation and the the damage to their reputation that a trial will cause them. You have to admire Mark Ridley Thomas to break that mold. Very few black politicians would challenge the government and you you have to conclude that Mark Ridley Thomas must have known in his heart and in his mind, he never had a corrupt intent. He never had a corrupt purpose. And he was willing to trust the criminal justice system that it would be fair and be able to see that. And let me just say one, just one last thing. The indictment says that Mark Ridley Thomas and Marilyn Finn conspired together. Well, and that they had a meeting. Guess what? Dion will tell you since Marilyn Flynn didn't testify, and Mark Ridley Thomas didn't testify, there's no evidence of what happened in the meeting. This was a face-to-face meeting. There's no evidence of what happened in this meeting that created this formation of a conspiracy.
0: Well, and again, I'm glad you brought that up. That highlights the point, punctuates the point I made, is this started out as two people who were conspiring, i.e. co-conspirators, and now you have one that has this extraordinary power and one is a victim. Uh, And that is so troubling. And to your point, Mansfield, there is something called a trial tax. And if you deign to challenge the United States government, they are obviously intent on punishing you. Uh, And that is replete throughout the documents from the government. Again, frivolous litigation, campaign, Failure to accept responsibility. So all of this language that's basically to send a message to anyone else, if we knock on your door and indict you, you better kowtow, you better capitulate, you better take the plea deal that's offered, or else you are going to suffer the wrath of the United States government. Uh, And that, to me, and I think that to everyone in this country, doesn't look like justice. Uh, When we come forward, I want to talk about the options that this judge will have at the sentencing hearing on Monday, August 21st. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. We are talking about the sentencing of Margaret Lee Thomas, former LA City Council member. That sentencing hearing will take place on Monday, August 21st. And my esteemed legal panel, Dion Raymond, Bobby Grace, Mansfield Collins, will be back with us on Monday in the second hour of. A- of Areva Martin in real time. And they will bring us the latest in terms of the sentencing and all of the expert legal analysis to help you understand what happens in that courtroom on Monday. So in this last segment, I want to talk about what options the judge has. She now has documents that have been written by the prosecution. She has this strange 11th hour letter from one of Mark Ridley Thomas's political foes, she has the memo from the defense team and presumably she has a probation report. Uh, and I, I don't want us to lose sight of the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution that gives criminal defendants a right to a public trial. Uh, so I hope the judge, and I, you know, she's a smart woman, went to Harvard, my alma mater, is mindful of that as the prosecution tries to tear a new one into Margaret Lee Thomas's team, for him having the nerve to exercise his Sixth Amendment constitutional right to go to trial. Uh, So Mansfield, tell us what options this judge has before her.
1: Well, the more that I'm thinking about this letter that we just found out about before we came on your show, uh, I think that letter is going to backfire. I think that letter is so transparent. It's uh, It's so not transparent. It's so obvious in its tone and tenor that for a learned judge to rely on that, would really be a demeaning uh, act on the part of the judge. I think that's going to backfire, and I think it will show the judge that the prosecution there's some, there was something off about this case. The judge will have the option of sentencing um, Mark Ridley Thomas to um, the recommended guidelines, or she will be she will be able to depart and 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 go downward from the recommended de- guidelines. At this point, the guidelines are are mandatory in word, but they're not mandatory in application. Uh, they are advisory. What uh, are
0: the guidelines, Mansfield? Because it seems like they're dueling documents about what the actual guidelines are. So if, you know from your perspective, what are the guidelines?
1: I think that probation has it in the ballpark, if there's going to be any kind of sentencing, uh, the 16 to 18 months. Um, I think that that would be of course, I disagree that the prosecution was based upon a uh, evidence and that they found that evidence. I disagree with that completely. But living in the reality of what we have to deal with today, I think that uh, the judge could sentence somewhere between 12 to 18 months. I think the judge also has the option of, of sentencing Mark Ridley Thomas in the same manner that she sentenced Marilyn Flynn, where Marilyn Flynn isn't doing any jail time, any prison time. When you look at the two, Marilyn Flynn um, and Mark Ridley Thomas, who has suffered the most in this already? Well, Marilyn Flynn didn't get fired from USC. She retired. Mark Ridley Thomas, as a result of this indictment, he basically was fired from ever holding public office. And his career was not over. He still had a political career in front of him. So he has already suffered a great deal. And there's a, there are public policies to, of deterrence and And to put people on notice that this will happen to you, I I could also see that a sentence could be similar to the one that Marilyn Flynn had. But ultimately, I'm hoping that the federal judge will allow him to remain out on bond pending the appeal that he doesn't do any time that he may be sentenced, but his sentence will be deferred pending the outcome of the appeal.
0: All right. So Bobby, let me ask you this as a veteran prosecutor, the judge has the papers from the, the uh, US Attorney's office. They have the, she has the recommendations from probation. She has them from the defense team. What does a judge do with all of that to determine what the appropriate guidelines are and how does she weigh what other cases that have come before this jurisdiction, how those cases have uh, resulted, what sentences have resulted in those cases uh, because the defense lays out cases that are far more egregious where people got far less time than the six years that are recommended. The prosecution shoots back and says, well, those cases aren't really relevant because in most of them, the defendant took a plea deal, didn't exercise their constitutional right and they got credit for that and because mark ruey thomas exercised his constitutional right he should be punished so what is the judge going to do with all of this
3: well Reeve, it is kind of baked in on the federal side that you will get taxed for going to trial and that's already been kind of covered here i don't think um well in the papers um the government was trying to tie the guidelines to how much money was involved in terms of Uh, the conspiracy, the bribery, whatever you want to call it. And so the the paperwork was going back and forth in terms of, you know, what was it really worth? Was it worth a hundred thousand dollars? Was it worth this amount? I think the judge is going to have to take a hard look at that. I don't think that she'll go above the six years that are being recommended by the government. I don't think that she's going to go all the way down to what probation is recommending, I think it'll be somewhere in the middle. And as Mansfield points out, the real um, surprise or, or thing that we're gonna be looking for is if she allows Mark Lee Thomas to stay out of custody pending his appeal. Um, I do believe, and we've talked about this before, that honest services is very murky. There's been a lot of Supreme Court decisions in just the last year weighing in on what's the definition of honest services um, what what can the government or what does that government have to prove in terms of the bribery aspect of this? And we've been talking about, you know, was this really bribery? Was there a quid pro quo? Was this a vote on a um, consent vote on a contract that was going to continue anyway? And was it already well known that Mark really Thomas would have voted yes on this vote no matter what? So these are all issues that we need to kind of take a look at. The judge is going to need to take a look at. But um, given all of the facts, she's definitely going to sentence Mark D. Thomas to some custody time. She won't go all the way to six years. And then the issue will be, will she go to the floor, which is what probation is arguing for, or come in somewhere in the middle?
0: All right, Deanne. I will give you the last word. We are almost out of time. You've been in that courtroom. You have watched that judge over the course of this trial. What is your quick prediction on what this judge is going to do on Monday?
2: Ariva, I think she's going to give him some time. Um, I think everything that she needs to not give him time just as she did with Marilyn Flynn is all there.
0: Do you have an estimate? What do you think that time is? Real quickly, I'm running out of time. With this judge, I don't know. We have to wait and see. All right, that is the last word. Wait and see, all of us have to do. But guess what? You can come right back here on KBLA Talk 1580 on Monday for part two of the sentencing of Mark Ridley Thomas this incredible legal panel with all of their expert uh, analysis and experience will be back here on Monday Dion Raymond will be in that courtroom On Monday, she will give us blow by blow what happens, what arguments are made by the defense, what arguments are made by the prosecution, and what the judge says. Typically, in these sentencing hearings, the judge will give her own comments. She'll talk about why she is uh, giving a particular sentence. She'll talk about the evidence. She'll talk about the case. Uh, We're going to hear a lot about power. We're going to hear a lot about position. We're going to hear a lot about the community. So, this is one show on Monday, you don't want to miss. So make sure you tune in on Monday, August 21st for part two of the sentencing of Mark Ridley Thomas. Thanks to my panelists. I'll see you right back here on Monday.